0: Good morning, Hope Church. It's really good to be with you. Let's start together with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We know that you love us and we thank you for your goodness towards us. And we pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would lead us and guide us. Uh, Lord, we pray today that we would know your hand upon us in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is week six on faith and action. I really hope you're not becoming tired of this theme. I have found it such a blessing to study some of the lives of these people and to find out just how they worked in faith as they followed Christ in their context or followed God in their context. So last week we took a look at Abraham. We learned that he is the father of all who believe we realise that Abraham was fully persuaded that God could do what he had promised. And that was our message on this Thursday's Recharge Just Gone. Now, Abraham is not an isolated case. The letter to the Romans in Romans 4 verse 23 to 24 tells us this. The words, it was credited to him, it's speaking about Abraham, that he was credited with righteousness because he believed. So he says, the words, it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So Abraham is a model of faith for all of those who believe. If we believe God like Abraham, we also will be credited with righteousness and we will also receive the grace that God gives us. This week, we begin to look at some of Abraham's descendants. We're looking specifically at Isaac and Jacob. Now, it's important to understand that God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled in his descendants. We need to understand that because God's promises are multi-generational. So often we look for God to bless us. We look for God to do things for us when God, in fact, wants to use us to bless a whole generation. Isn't that an amazing challenge? What is God's blessing for Stone Cross or for where you live? What is God wanting to do that isn't just for this generation but that will pass through other generations? And also, what have we inherited from those who've gone before? In the last 10 years, we've had some great men and women of God that we have known who've been part of Hope Church, who've gone to glory. What have they passed on to us in faith that we need to pursue? And so we turn now to Isaac and Jacob. Now, it doesn't take much reading in the Old Testament to realize that Abraham's family was pretty dysfunctional. Abraham was a fearful man, and he asked his wife to lie for him when he went into a different land with King Abimelech. He asked his wife to say that she wasn't his wife, but his sister instead, so that they wouldn't kill him. Now, this fear that he had, he passed on to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, who did exactly the same thing with the same king. Now, there's an aside here and a bit of a warning for us. Be very careful what fears you allow into your life, because they will not only affect you can but easily, but can also easily affect your children unless you deal with them in God. So we come to Isaac. There isn't a massive amount said about Isaac's life. We know that his wife was chosen by God through a servant that was sent by Abraham. We know that Isaac was a godly man. He prayed for his wife who was barren, and he was heard by God, and she was able to bear children. We also find that he used to meditate. Now, let me just say as an aside here, meditation is an important process in which God speaks to us. Not transcendental meditation or any of that more cultish stuff, but biblical Christian meditation is so essential for our growth in God. Isaac had two sons. Esau was the oldest who became a hunter. He had very little respect for his position as firstborn. And then there was Jacob who tended livestock. Jacob very quickly tried to take his brother's position as the firstborn. Isaac was born in God's promised land. However, in his lifetime, the land was hit with a severe famine. Abraham was not Abraham, sorry. um, Isaac was tempted to leave. But God spoke to Isaac and told him to remain in the promised land. And here, like his father Abraham, Isaac had to exhibit faith. He had to trust that during this famine, God would take care of his family. God reaffirms his promise to Isaac, the same promise that God had made with Isaac's father, Abraham. Isaac couldn't live off his father's faith. He had to trust God Himself. Let me tell you, that is a reoccurring theme. We need our own faith with God. We cannot live off the faith of our parents or grandparents. We need to exhibit our own faith in Jesus Christ. Isaac had to trust God himself. Isaac was also responsible to carry on and see the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Tempting as it was for Isaac to leave the promised land because of the famine, Isaac bit the bullet and decided to trust God like his father Abraham had done. Isaac's faith in God was rewarded. He became rich and he became so powerful that the Philistines who lived in that land asked him to move away. He did move away, but not out of the promised land, just to another section of it. When Abraham had died, the Philistines stopped up the water wells that he had dug. And Isaac had to redig those wells. Here again, we see Isaac having to walk in the same footsteps and the same path as his father Abraham. I think him having to redig the wells is such an amazing uh, picture for us. You know, We also have to dig the same wells that our parents dug. The point is that we must discover God as our own source of living water. God speaks again to Isaac and reaffirms his promise to him that he first made with Abraham. Isaac, through his life, has managed to fulfill his role in the promise that God had made to Abraham. And now the responsibility passes on from Isaac down to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It's again evidently clear that both Isaac and Rebekah had favorites in terms of their children. Rebekah was Isaac's wife. Now, let me tell you, as a father, to have a favourite child is never a good thing. It breeds some very bad relational issues in your family. Esau despised his birthright as firstborn and sells it to his brother Jacob. However, the birthright has a blessing attached to it. And Jacob steals that blessing from his father through deception with the help of his mother. The situation escalates, and Esau then plans to murder his brother Jacob. Do you see what I mean about a dysfunctional family? Let me make a short aside here. We need to pause for a moment. God's promises and God's covenants are not given to perfect people. I find this a great encouragement. God works through imperfect and flawed people, people who have massive flaws, and yet God's promises are still fulfilled through these perfect people. It gives us hope that God can work through us. Yes, we have flaws, we have difficulties, but God is able to work through those and still fulfill his plans and purposes through us. Now, Jacob's deceitful actions have a consequence. He has to flee from his home, and he goes to stay with his mother's relatives where he will be for over 14 years. On his journey to that place, he encounters God, and God reaffirms his covenant with Jacob. The same covenant that God had made with Jacob's father, Isaac, which was the same covenant that God had made with Isaac's father, Abraham. I really want you to understand that, that this covenant was passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. God doesn't work in isolation. He wants to pass to us what he started through previous generations and what we can pass on to those that will follow on behind us. We need to be faithful in our generation Here at the meeting point with God, God, uh, Jacob makes God his God. It's the point of salvation. It is the point at which Jacob says, you are now going to be my God. And that's really important at some point. Even if our parents have made a decision to follow Jesus, at some point, we need to make that decision ourselves to say, you will be my God and I will follow you. And so Jacob arrives in the land with his family and he begins to reap what he has sown in terms of his deception. He cheated his brother out of his birthright, and now his uncle cheats him repeatedly. First he gets cheated with the wife. He wanted to marry the younger wife, the younger sister, and Jacob deceitfully, so not Jacob, Laban deceitfully gives him the older daughter. And so he then gets cheated with his income. Uh, It keeps changing. You know, we cannot escape our own actions. We're told in Galatians that we will reap what we sow. So many people in this world say, where is God? Where is God's judgment? Uh, Let me tell you, the way the world is going today is not necessarily a judgment of God, but it is a reaping of what we have sown in the last 50 years. So Jacob has an extremely hard 14 years. Jacob goes through a process of brokenness. He learns to trust God in a hard place, in a place of unfairness, in a place where he is discriminated against as the outsider in the family, in a place where he is powerless to change anything and where he is opposed by everybody else. It's in this place That he learns to trust God. It's in this place that he becomes a new Jacob. Perhaps you're in a situation of unfairness and discrimination. Maybe you're meant to trust God more. God blesses Jacob, his family increases, his possessions increase, all in the midst of him being cheated. Why? Because he trusted God. He didn't try and sort it out himself. He said, God, you need to sort this out. And let me tell you, if you are in that situation, the best cause of action is always to ask God, what should you do? And if he says nothing, you leave it to God. Isn't God amazing? Here again, we see the dysfunctionality of Jacob's family. We've seen it in his father's family, and now we see it in his. He has two wives. Now, I've been tempted to make many jokes about this, but let me tell you, two wives is one too many. And worse still, he has two wives and they are sisters. And these sisters embark on a bitter rivalry against each other that happens throughout his lifetime, that they are constantly fighting with one another. And yet in the midst of that context, God still blesses Jacob. Why? Because God looks for faith and he will work even through dysfunctional families, because guess what? We're all part of some dysfunctionality. Now, Jacob realises that the situation is going from bad to worse. Not only is he being cheated against, but also his relatives are now turning nasty against him. They see God's blessing and they are angry and not happy about it. So Jacob decides to run for it. However, as he runs, his uncle Laban chases after him to harm him. It's just here that God intervenes. God visits Laban in a dream just before he catches up with Jacob and warns him and says, do not say anything good or bad to him. Do not harm him. We see how faithful God is. Where we cannot do anything, God will work for us. Without God, Jacob would have been wiped out. Jacob moves on towards his home. He's heading towards the promised land, the land where God had said, this will be the covenant where I will make you into a nation. He moves towards this land. He sends people ahead to let his brother know that he's returning. And he hears back that his brother is coming to see him with 400 men. Now, you can understand Jacob had said, not Jacob, Esau had said to Jacob, I'm going to kill you. And now Esau is coming with 400 men uh, to see Jacob. Jacob is understandably worried. He's kind of left a bad situation and he's now facing an even worse situation where his brother might kill him and all of his family. And so we come to one of the most powerful passages in the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis 32, verse 22 to 32. Let me read it to you. "'That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak.' Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob arrives at the same position his grandfather Abraham had to go through. Abraham, if you remember, had to walk alone to the place of sacrifice where he was expected to sacrifice his son. Now Jacob sends his family and all of his possessions to the other side of the ford and he wrestles alone with God. The whole night he wrestles and towards dawn, his hip socket is placed out of joint and the wrestling stops. Jacob is commended by God. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel because he struggled with God and he overcame. Now notice this, there is no mention made of the impending arrival of Esau. Sometimes we want God to speak about what's right in front of us, but God says nothing because he is doing a deeper work in our hearts that cause him to trust him all the more. Now on top of all of this, Jacob's wrestling with God has left him weak and injured. A limping Jacob walks away from an encounter with God. You know, we want to encounter God and we want to come away stronger when in reality, coming away weaker is better than coming away stronger. Jacob approaches his brother with the 400 men and he comes now with a humility. Jacob has changed. God has changed him through his suffering, through the unfairness, through the stuff that he's gone through. He's become a humble man. And it says he bows before his brother Esau seven times. Rather than the destruction he feared, his brother is pleased to see him and embraces him. God has again gone before Jacob and he has worked in the situation. Jacob arrives home and he builds an altar to God, signifying the greatness of the God he serves. God tells him to move to a place called Bethel. Bethel is the place that Jacob encountered God on his way to his his mother's family when he was fleeing from Esau, who had threatened to kill him. And there he makes camp and there God tells him to build an altar to him. We're going to finish the story there. I've only skimmed the surface. There is so much more that I could say. There are so many more points we could make. And I want to encourage you to read about the lives of these people in Genesis. So what do we learn from Isaac and Jacob? What can we learn about their faith in action? I want to highlight three areas that could have easily stopped both Isaac and Jacob in faith, but it didn't. I mention them because these are the same three areas that we face nearly every day. The first area is this, family flaws. I want to reiterate that Isaac and Jacob's families were full of flaws. their families were far from perfect. Neither of them were born into families that were model families. Both inherited negative traits and habits from their parents. And yet this did not stop their ability to trust in God. In fact, we see that it made them weaker and in their weakness they trusted God all the more. We too may not have had a great family example. We may have inherited negative family traits, but let me tell you, we can still trust God. The second area is difficult circumstances. When we look at Isaac, Isaac had to deal with the hostility of the Philistines in the land that he was living, that God had promised him. And he also had to face a famine that would impact his family and yet Isaac didn't run away. He decided to believe the promise of God. The famine, he said to himself, cannot wipe us out, otherwise God's promise is null and void, and he chose to believe God. Maybe you're facing a tough situation, maybe you want to run, but let me tell you, God wants you to trust in him. Also with Jacob, Jacob had a number of difficult circumstances. And what should encourage us is that some of these circumstances were of his own making. His brother wanting to kill him was because he had cheated his brother. And his uncle cheating him was a a reaping what he had sown in cheating his brother. And then he had the situation of his wives that were constantly fighting with one another. The solution to Jacob's trouble was brokenness. Not a large army in victory, but an encounter with God alone. An encounter that required him to send everything that was dear to him to the other side, his family, his possessions. And it reminds us of this first commandment in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. We need to take all of those things so that we can be left alone with God. The encounter left Jacob broken. It left him physically weaker, but he had prevailed with God. He had a new name and he had a reaffirmed promise from God. Perhaps there are things that you need to give to God. There are things that we hold on to and as as it may seem, maybe we need to wrestle with God, not so that we become stronger, but that we become weaker. But as we walk away from that wrestling, as we give up all of those things that have a hold on our lives, we have a new name and God fights for us. The third area is powerlessness to change the situation. In Isaac's context, he was in the land of promise. There was a famine and he could do nothing about that. He had to trust that even though he could do nothing, God would work miracles to keep them alive. So Isaac trusted in God and God brought him through. And let me tell you, as you trust God, he will also bring you through. Jacob, his situation of powerlessness was starker. For 14 years, he submitted to an uncle who was a cheat, an uncle who was corrupt, who cheated him with every paycheck, an uncle who wanted it all for himself. And Jacob was powerless to change it. He was the outsider. He was the one who had come in to Laban's family. And Laban made him feel that he was that uh, stranger and he wasn't worthy. What could he do? he could only submit to the situation. And yet he was wronged. Yes, he was being cheated, but he had to leave that to God who judges justly. And God came through. Jacob learned humility. He also learned that God is watching out for him. Perhaps you're in that place of powerlessness, Perhaps you're in a situation where you cannot change it. You do not have the authority to do so. Let me encourage you this morning. Join Jacob. Give it to God. Let him deal with it and your righteousness will shine like the dawn. Let me encourage you with these words from Psalm 37, verse 5 to 6. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness, your, sorry, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So what have we learnt? We've learnt that God works through human weakness. When we truly cannot, God truly will. When we stop and we allow God Only then will he work on our behalf. Let us follow the footsteps of these flawed people who trusted in God and saw miracles from God and see God work on his behalf. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you have given us in the Bible such a testimony of people who were as as human as we are, who were as flawed as we are. And yet they are a model of faith. They are those mentioned in Hebrews 11 as models of faith, not because of their flaws, but because of despite their flaws, they chose to trust in you, the living God. And Lord, I pray this morning to those listening, I want to pray that God would enable you, that you would have the faith in God to believe and to trust in all that he wants to do for you. Believe the promise, trust the promise. And so, Lord, we thank you. We ask that you would enable us in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Trust in him and you will see what God will do in your life. Have a really great day.